Welcome to your Mind is Trying to Kill You podcast. Join your host, Alexandros Megas, and co-host Vincent Byrne as they walk you through the deepest recesses of the mind and how it operates. They discuss all the reasons why our minds persistently get in the way of our evolution, growth, and our success. But crucially, they also teach you what you can do to change your destiny. And now, here's your host, Alexandros Megas. Welcome, everybody, to Your Mind is Trying to Kill You podcast. This is our fifth episode. And in this episode, we are talking about hypnosis. After my friend Vincent has requested some uh, thorough examination of the topic. And... uh, he had a question that he needs to ask me, and uh, I think that we should let him uh, ask that question. Yeah, so good to be back again. And uh, yeah, the, the topic of hypnosis and uh, people's attitude to it is is uh, it's 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 certainly a topic that can divide opinion. And uh, I'm just wondering, given that you have had so many years' experience in it and uh, have reached the levels that you have with it. Do you get a resistance to the idea of hypnosis? I mean, some people go as far as to say that hypnosis is the devil's work. Certainly there's fear there around uh, people losing control. And you often see with stage hypnosis, people being made fools of. And uh, they think that the the, the, the person who is uh, putting on the show has that level of control. I don't know whether they do or not. I've always had the sense that you could still snap out of it if you wanted to. So what are your thoughts on it? That's a fascinating topic. Let me just make a quick note about the loss of control that you mentioned. And, and, you know, people have told me that so many times when I suggested hypnosis or hypnotherapy to them uh, in order to attack a certain part of their mind that is giving them trouble, you know, and uh, people are like, well, you know, I don't want to lose control. And my answer to that is uh, always, my friend, you've never had control in the first place. We don't, and we've already gotten to talk about um, a fair amount of how the subconscious works. But given the fact that the subconscious is fully responsible for who we are and for our behavior. It would be very fair to say that we don't know what we don't know. We don't know what is governing us. We don't know what is causing us to behave one way or another, and therefore we don't have control, right? So if you have been hijacked by a virus, oh my God, did I say virus? Because, you know, this is, it's, it's funny. Well, it's not funny, but it's, it's, it's uh, ironic in my mind that um, what is happening right now 
as I, I actually always say, since the whole virus situation has started, I always say, please try to remember the worst virus there is, is in your mind. Because this is what is causing people to freak out. By virtue of freaking out, you surrender to programming that is a fight or flight programming. It's a, it's a root chakra kind of programming that uh, goes on the deepest levels of who we really are, deals with our nature as human beings. And people definitely, if there's anything to control, that is not one of the things we can control. So if we allow ourselves to step into a survival mode in our mind, then we are in trouble because this is a slippery slope. It's a downward spiral. So we can't let ourselves go there. Does this make sense? Yeah. I suppose the, the, um, the thing is, though, that we think we're in control. So we have this illusion that we are in control of our faculties and in control of what we do. And I know we've discussed this in previous episodes, um, the fact that we don't. But in terms of approaching the whole concept of hypnosis and whether you use it as a therapy or even use it in an entertainment type situation, is there validity in their reticence or their fear? There is validity, of course, but you have to understand that, first of all, no one, I'm not going to say no one, but the vast majority of the people do not step into a hypnosis without their consent. Right? There, is a, there is a thing, a locked door, if you will. Like, that's actually the critical factor. Nothing is going to allow anyone to step in there without you wanting to get in there. So you mentioned stage hypnosis, which is actually so entertaining and so much fun. I have done a little bit of that, but I've done it with friends. Uh, and it's extremely real. It's very real. Now you're saying these people are being made a fool out of... and. I would say that that's not entirely accurate because okay. a stage hypnotist will always ask for volunteers, right? And these, generally speaking, these are the people that are looking for some uh, good fun and looking for some adventure in their lives. And these people are ready to step into this. They're not just, you know, unsuspecting. Victims. They're not unsuspecting victims. So they step into it with full awareness that something really cool is about to happen. And they, they do not, these people don't fake it. They don't fake it. But the moment you willingly step onto that kind of stage, you make a contract. And the contract is, I will take your suggestions and I will take them seriously. I will not reject them in my mind. And by doing that, of course, I will step into some kind of an imaginary land. And this is where I will be shown that imagination is actually pure magic. Because in these people's minds, what is imagined is real. People have optical illusions, they have uh, acoustic illusions. Uh, they, they, it's, this can go as deep as, in some cases, reprogram an entire personality. And uh, it's amazing. 
and the, all that whole thing, you know, because you mentioned the devil's uh, work uh, type thing, which is to me very funny because everything that we don't understand, we tend to demonize. And that has happened throughout the history of the human existence. Uh, this whole thing started by Franz Anton Mesmer, primarily, where the phrase being mesmerized comes from. And that guy was a physician in Germany in the 18th century. And he noticed that under some kind of uh, weird circumstances, it was like a, a, an accident that uh, he could use certain types of rods or um, I don't remember exactly what it was, lead rods or something that um, uh, would uh, put people into a, a total kind of... Uh, it was a trance. <laughs> Clearly, it was a deep trance. And these people that would be tranced out, and and he started treating these people with this thing that he called, he called um, animal magnetism back then. And why was it, why was it called that? Uh, because he, he figured that's the closest thing to the animalistic sort of like, you know, how you can... You know, be a dog whisper or a horse whisper. You know, like a person that manages to actually train an animal uh, with, you know, using behavioral abilities, right? So, in a similar fashion, he found out that he could actually recreate these kinds of effects and have people fall into extremely deep trances. He himself didn't know exactly what was going on, but he knew how to, the way that he understood it, he knew how to reproduce that. And soon enough, he started having so many clients and, you know, people were leaving his, his clinic uh, healed, you know, in so many cases that uh, he actually became a threat to the establishment. So the, the, the doctor's association, I guess you could say, uh, at the time, went to the king and, and they were like, king, this is bullshit. This guy is completely destroying our practice with his woo. So he got discredited or, you know, he's got his license revoked or something like that. Of course, you know, this same thing keeps on happening over and over again. The circumstances change, change but the, the root of the fact that people do not wish to evolve in in their mind in the way that they practice anything keeps happening history repeats ourselves right and with uh, the same thing which you would say happens here today with um things like energy work right? people that are reiki practitioners or i have been made aware of um recently of so-called bioresonance devices that can actually alter and uh, yeah. heal your energetic body uh, through the use of certain frequencies. Right? And it, it, even though there is so much science behind that stuff today, it's still approached as uh, just some woo-woo kind of bullshit science. Uh, because why? Because so many people's bread and butter is jeopardized by these kind of practices, right? Yeah, not least the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, exactly. But uh, when it comes to the devil's work, uh, why would that be called that? Because, of course, something that works 
seemingly like magic is being attributed that exact uh, title. And magic, as we all know, is something that uh, a lot of people, actually less people today than before, of course, but a lot of people still would be very, very negatively predisposed against. And of course, how can you do that, right, if you don't even know what it is that you are dealing with? The same thing is with uh, hypnosis. Most people have no idea. You know how many people had that, um, they were like, oh, don't look at my eyes, don't look at my eyes. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, look, people accept being influenced left and right by marketing, right? They, They can allow marketing to completely change and alter their views on anything concerning their lives, but they will think something like hypnosis is, uh, is the evil of the world. You know, I mean, how ironic. I think that's, that's a lot of it has to do with the fact that um, they see it as someone doing something to them in a very, uh, a very active kind of way. And I think the other issue is that it's, um, I suppose, hypnosis is typically seen, as I said, the stage stuff is, is, is one thing. And the other one is that people typically associated with something innocuous, like stopping smoking, you know, that that's quite popular because you see a lot of hypnotherapists advertising that particular line in order to, to give up smoking, or certainly they used to. So it was seen as a kind of a superficial thing. But is it, is it, I mean, one question that I've had about um, the whole entertainment hypnosis, let's say. Is it a case that before a show starts that a um, a hypnotist will identify the people who are most likely to be, as it were, more easily susceptible? Is, 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 do they do something beforehand to identify them or literally could they start with a, with a blank slate and pick any 10 people at random and pretty much get the same result? No, they don't, they don't do that beforehand, but they do it. This is part of the beginning of the show. Okay. They, because, for example, you know, when you sit down with me and I tell you to, okay, put your hands on your on your thighs and now make sure your feet are flat on the ground or you know the floor, and all these things. As I'm telling you, as I'm giving you these instructions, the way that you are executing uh, my suggestions actually shows me how how suggestible you are, right? Or, or I can give you an easy exercise. That exercise could be uh, just imagine that you're, you know, you clasp your hands together and um, imagine that um, there's like, I put this incredibly strong glue in between your palms and and it's like cement now and there's no way you can separate them. And, you know, that is uh, something that you can actually do with the crowd. And you see, you notice how many people right. are actually stepping into it and are completely um, susceptible to it because they, you know, these people are already in a trance. Uh, of course, if you go to a stage show like that, you are halfway there. You know, you are a person that actually is fascinated by this, right. and by virtue of being fascinated by something, is uh, putting you 
in some sort of a trance. So it's more a question of determining the people who have given permission and started to make that contract more so than something sinister like picking on poor people who are susceptible. Because that's obviously the distinction that people uh, make that, you know, uh, that certain people are are therefore weak to this particular, um, you know, to hypnosis and hypnotic suggestion. So what you're saying is they're not weak to it. It's just that they're enthusiastically bought into it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. They, they do. And, and you know, why wouldn't they? It's a, it's a massively fun process. I've had, I have had uh, friends of mine back back in the day that I was actually experimenting on, and you know when I say experimenting, I I mean that in in their favor. I was experimenting in their favor. Yeah, uh, they came and asked me to uh, conduct certain kind of hypnotic experiments on them to see how far they can go into changing their lives and uh, I was given you know the, the permission I was given permission to actually go in there and investigate with them so I would actually put you know, what we call hypnotic triggers on them do you, you know what a hypnotic, hypnotic trigger is yeah uh, I've heard of it I presume um, it's a word or a phrase or an action like clicking your fingers or something like that, that basically triggers a response. Is that, is it, do I have that? Yeah, you define what the trigger will be with your client. By the way, I say your client because it's not appropriate to call the people you work with subjects. Okay. Some <laughs> people do. So I, I do not, I don't feel good about calling another uh, fellow human being a subject. Uh, so we call him a client and um, the client would agree while already in a trance would agree to establish a hypnotic trigger, which is to say that is like would work as a button. And that could be, you know, I would say, okay, as I, sure. uh, every time that, and this is between just between me and you and no one else has the power to actually uh, exercise that kind of thing over you. It's just me and you. And, uh, we do it for the purposes of, you know, getting the results that you need out of your life. So every time I do this, whatever this may be, you know, me touching my nose or, uh, in looking at them, you know, or snapping my fingers or what have you, uh, you will fall into uh, a trance that would be every single time of a cumulative fashion, which means that it would, the next time we do it, it will be twice as deep every time I apply the hypnotic trigger. Uh, and the next time would be twice as deep as the one before. So, you know, you get to step into very deep, extremely deep hypnotic trances uh, that can, as I have seen, because, you know, I, I used to be in awe myself of the results of what was happening. Because, you know, you do, I would apply these things. And even though I knew what is to come out of these applications, I would still be flabbergasted. I just couldn't, you, it really is like magic. You don't believe it. You know, like I, I would, I would have a hard time believing it myself. Mm -hmm. 
back then. And uh, these people, like I've had, you know, I would go into experimenting uh, with with all kinds of tricks. Like, for example, I had one of my friends who was applying for the bar exam. She was a lawyer and a really sweet person, very intelligent. And uh, she was, um, she had failed the bar exam three times. And, and or was it two times? I don't remember. I think it was three. And, and then she came to me and she's like, I need some help. You know, I need to be able to, because she, she felt that even though she was studying really hard, it's just that, I don't know, it was fear or something was holding her back from actually getting to pass the exam successfully. So I started, uh, I put a trigger on, because she lived in Florida and I was in New York. Uh, we, she would be staying there uh, with me for, you know, a few days, and then she would have to go back home. So I had to find a way to establish a trigger that would work from a distance. That's really funny because what came to my mind is texting her. And I I talked to her right. while in a trance about if she would feel okay if we could establish a texting trigger. And she said, yeah, of course, yeah, absolutely. And so I established that if I text her, sleep now, in all caps, with an exclamation mark, she, that, the, the moment that she would see that, she would fall into the same kind of trance as if you were, if she were with me. And of course, you know, the more I would do it, the deeper it would be and so on and so forth. So I would be able to then suggest all kinds of things to her that would pass straight through the critical factor and into her subconscious effortlessly. And sure enough, you know, within a, a couple of weeks, she goes and gets the bar exam done. She was, she just passed it with a flying car. Okay. <laughs> And uh, it's just so beautifully fascinating this entire process. To me. so, so, so if if you take that particular situation uh, just as a general example, firstly, the the question that comes to mind is: okay, so you text someone sleep now. I mean, and they read it and they're driving their car. So presumably, it's not just. The, the person still has sufficient faculty to go, uh, I'll do that, but not, not until I stop the car or not until I get back home or whatever. Or is that the case that it well, just happens? Well, first of all, I would not, we, we would uh, talk before I would do that. Okay. Okay. So you would check to see, check to see that she was safe. That wouldn't happen at random. But I uh, let me actually say something here that is not... Uh, that, that is not evident, perhaps. Um, when you are in a trance, your faculties of uh, learning, at whatever you have learned, is more effective than ever before. Which is to say, I, I, can, I will actually prove to you that you have driven in a trance for most of your driving life. I get that. I get that. Yeah. And let me ask you this question. How many times have you found yourself going from point A to point B? And when you got there, you didn't know how you got there. Gazillions of times. Yeah. 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 yeah I get it. So like in, again, just 
taken the particular case. So when you would do the sleep now and she would go into the trance, she wouldn't necessarily or go to sleep, whatever. She wouldn't necessarily fall in a heap on the floor. She would actually just be in a, a an altered state. And then what? She would sit down and study. And because she was studying in that state, she was absorbing more, bringing in more. Was that the kind of idea behind what you did in that case? No, well, that was the initiation. And then I would put in suggestions and I would tell her from now on until, you know, the rest of your studying time today, tonight, everything you read is going to be embedded in your mind like a photograph. It will be clear as day and you will remember it with like the least amount of effort and, uh, you know, things like that. And of course, you know, she would go ahead and do that. And then the following day, that would do something similar and so on. I'm surprised you haven't made millions of this. <laughs> well, it's, you know, this is actually, it's funny you should say that. I never made, and that, I guess this is a segue into briefly talking about how I got into hypnosis myself. That that has never that has always been one of my loves hypnosis because I always was extremely fascinated about the mind. And the more I learned about it, of course, the more fascinated I became. So the beautiful part is that I never had to make money from this, and and so I was free to experiment. Now you know, it's what you just said. First of all, the, how many people would actually? blindly trust me to do that with. You know what I mean? This isn't something that, mm. it's it's funny, it's ironic that you can have this kind of results, but all you need is the full trust of the person who's working with you. And that's not very easy to, to get, especially for people that are strangers. Yeah, well, I suppose it, it's, it's the sort of thing that happens when, you know, in the case point uh, with your friend that, if she was to go and tell somebody else, you should go and see Alexandros. And invariably, when you get that kind of personal recommendation, you're probably a bit like people turning up at the hypnotic entertainment. They're halfway there in terms of their commitment, because typically they would be coming to you because they want something specific and you did it for her. So can you do it for me? So they're more likely to be bought into it. I, I, certainly, if you were trying to market that to to a wide number of strangers uh it's it's a little bit more uh difficult to do and probably a little bit less uh, or people are a bit more skeptical about it and it probably comes back to the root of the question i asked in the first place which is that i think people see it as almost a little bit trivial or frivolous unless you know you have an impact similar to the one you had with your friend but also there's a certain amount of skepticism and fear around the fact that people uh, don't want to be manipulated and uh, controlled and, and all that sort of stuff. And I think, as you said, if people don't know what it is, then it's, it's, it's kind of quite difficult to work with them, especially when they've got incorrect preconceived notions uh, about it. But it, it, coming back to the, you alluded it, alluded to it there so why did you you know obviously you've got the artistic background and um why did you why did you get involved in it and what what was the interest that uh, 
that took you to um, explore the the field? Well, through my art, because uh, my art has always had uh, an an element of uh, actually an element is very heavy element of esotericism, because I was always dealing with um, making in some sort in some sense making the unseen seen visualizing the unseen be it energy or you know angels or whatever it is the, the mind that which we cannot see but we still get affected by has always been fascinating to me and so seeing that i would create pieces of art certain pieces of art and i would later realize that I, because people would ask me, oh my God, you know, that's amazing. That is so cool. How did you do that? Right? And, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't answer that question. I couldn't tell people how the process, I mean, you know, the, the general process of what I do is a combination of photographic transfers and, and painting. Yes, of course, on that, on that end, I, I could tell them. But what followed the process of creating a specific piece, what I, why I started there and, and ended, you know, where I ended, or where do I, where did I start in the first place? I couldn't, I couldn't remember, because as I later realized, I was falling in deep trances, and then there was some kind of element that was guiding my hands and my mind to create what I was creating, and this is why, this is when. I realized that art is magical. And as I always say, art is magic. Um, and um, mm. people that actually go and buy uh, any of my prints now, the, the, this is what I, this is my, my motto. Art is magic because these pieces were created under a certain kind of trance which means that I was in full communication with my subconscious mind and therefore with what we call the other side, the world of the unseen, the angelic, however you want to define it, right? So I found myself as I was doing that, uh, that I managed to realize that this is what was going on. I mean, I didn't know much about what being in trance was about, but... I knew enough to know that I wasn't consciously creating these things. And that started, you know, then I went into a heavy research, finding out, you know, then I discovered Carl Jung, the famous and the awesome, amazing psychologist, who was also an incredible artist and a magician in his own right. Because, let me make a parenthesis now, because we started talking about magic. I don't want people freaking out. <laughs> because once again, in the same sense, that one would talk about hypnosis and people would be like, oh, don't look into my eyes, you know, and, and treating it like they were in, uh, you know, 16th century Europe or anywhere for that matter. Uh, we're talking about the ability to communicate with your emotions, with your emotional world, and therefore with your energy body 
And if you communicate with your energy body, then you can communicate with anything out there. We are all one piece, right? People in certain religions talk about that. We're all one. We are all one organism. So if we imagine that the human body in its entirety is one universe, let's say the entire human population of this world is one body. And then, you know, you could be whatever, like a cell, you know, or a fingernail or whatever. You know, you realize that when that body is in balance with itself, it will never do anything. And no part of the body would do anything to harm another part of the body. Right? You're not going to you know, take your your index finger, just, you know, stick it in your eye, you know, it's not going to happen. And then nor will your index finger ever claim that it's better than your eye, right? So uh, the problem is that because in the society that we live in, we have been taken further away from the concepts of what it is to be in touch with one another as spirits, as energy, and we swim in the same ocean that has created a, an illusion of separations, of a separation. This kind of society teaches us that we're separate entities and that there's no connection between us, uh, which is entirely false, of course. So the basis of all these modalities you know, hypnosis, meditation, which is part of what magic is about. What do you think magic is about? You know, uh, magic is training your energy to be in balance with the rest of you so that you don't end up doing things. You know, in essence, you could say that hypnosis, training your mind to not go against you, hence your mind is trying to kill you, uh, is magic in its own right. That's exactly what it is is training your energy to work for you rather than working against you. So so are you saying therefore that um, that when we're in this state, like in this state that you're in when you're doing your art, and I must admit I do some woodworking as a hobby, and when I'm down working on that, I often look up and sort of three hours have passed and all I've been doing is sanding something, you know, it's, and it, it'll be like, where did that time go? And, and yet I will have produced, it's not as if I was, I didn't know what I was doing on some level. I knew exactly what I was doing and I was doing it really well, but I just lost track of everything that happened during that three hours. And I suppose it's, is that what they say when they say you're in flow? Um, Absolutely, when, yeah. You're in, in the that zone. kind of um, sense. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's um, when you're there, you are, you're getting in touch with that part of you that's connected to everybody else. Yeah, is yeah. You're being in a deep trance. Yeah. Because okay. that's exactly what it feels like, what you just described this is being in a deep trance, uh, is being in a, in a situation where they're having to consider anyone else around you or even start thinking about a person who has, that you know of that lives, you know, across the Atlantic, me per se, yeah. <laughs> would communicate to me certain things, even if I wasn't fully conscious of it. You know, you can, you can 
you can communicate. Sure. How many people do you, how many times do you think of someone, uh, you have this intense kind of like emotional, whatever um, thought about a person and then you receive an email or a call from them, right? It happens all the time. Yeah, no, I've 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 uh, certainly experienced that, and and you also hear of situations where, if if a close relative you often see with a with a, a parent and a and a and a child that the child you know got a funny feeling when um and then shortly afterwards they hear that the parent got sick or died or vice versa that there was something which caused them to believe that there was something wrong, and. Uh, uh, so getting that sense, clearly there was some kind of communication, some kind of connection going on, which wasn't on a, uh, Absolutely, yeah. on what we would describe, I suppose, a conscious level. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then when you, you started to look into this stuff, um, what did you, did you study to become a hypnotherapist per se, or, or, you know, what, what route did you take? Yeah. Yes. And I've been in New York for like, uh, I'd say a little over three, no, actually three decades, exactly, three decades. And um, I started getting into this since then, as, as I'm getting into it, I started reading books. And I told you about a book that I, that I read that completely blew my mind. Uh, was it like Psychic Discoveries? This is the Behind the Iron Curtain, was that? that blew the roof of my yeah, head. Yeah. And of course, it it was such a thought-provoking book that redefined the nature of reality for me and made me realize that who we are is not at all who we think we are. So what kind of things... I, I've got the book. It, it only arrived sort of last week and I only started to read it. So what, what kind of things are in that that would have been earth-shattering for you? Well, it's talking about um, hypnosis being worked with on a scientific level very early on. And of course, phenomena like um, parapsychology and things like that from the Russian government and um, even the American government, you know, things like ESP and things like that. These are not some woo-woo kind of uh, BS topics. They uh, have received very substantial amount of um, funding from big governments for a reason and all the things that would happen. Uh, I'll give you an example. One of the things that has stayed with me from the book is um, that was in Russia and they had um, a study from a certain university. I don't remember where it was in Russia, but um, they got volunteers for that study. And uh, there was one girl that was... Um, being deeply hypnotized repeatedly for days and being suggested that she is actually uh, one of the masters and painters, one of the master painters. Uh, I don't remember which one. Let's just say it was Da Vinci. I don't remember which one it was, but it doesn't matter. Let's just say. So uh, let's... And I should say that they chose what it is that they should experiment with on every single um, volunteer. And they chose things that they were not familiar with. Like, for example, this girl didn't have any artistic ability as people would 
define artistic ability and the ability to draw the, you know, it was like a stick figure kind of, of level. And, uh, as she would accept being constantly in a, in a very controlled environment, hypnotized over and over and over again. And of course, I should say that the more, uh, you get into a trance, uh, especially in controlled environments where you don't get out of it, right? If you're in a room being in a constant trance for a, a, a couple of weeks, you get into consecutively, you get into very deep levels of trance, very deep levels of to the point of, of losing, temporarily, of course, losing the, uh, the given identity that you thought you had. So she fully believed that she was Da Vinci. And, and uh, the conductor of the experiment, the doctor, uh, would go and have conversations with her and uh, talk about, you know, as if it was like an, it was just a, another day. Like, so, hey, what did you, what did you draw today? And she, she would start these experiments and would show the level of proficiency of, uh, of drawing. And initially it was just like very rudimentary, kind of like very crude kind of sketches. And as the days progressed, she developed this amazing sense of showing, you know, artistic talent and, and drawing ability, of course. But the, here's the, here's the, the fun part. The, the magical part is that her style was not that of Da Vinci. <laughs> she was developing her own style. Okay. And the only thing that was doing that is a deep, firm belief that that was it. That was the truth. This was reality. She was a master artist. Make sense? So it was a kind of a, in a way, it was fake it till you make it kind of stuff in that you, it was accept. You weren't, she wasn't faking it. She was genuinely believing that she was at this top level and that essentially all that had to happen over time was that her ability rose to meet that level through whatever practicing she was doing to then get to a point where she was behaving as if uh, she was at the Da Vinci master level. And, and it wasn't because she didn't know anything about these artists. It wasn't as if she knew what to do per se. She was, um, she was just operating to a very high level because that's what she took on, I presume, uh, when she uh, assumed the uh, belief that she was Da Vinci. Uh, she took on the belief that she was really, really good at this. See, when I read this book, what is the big, like the big light bulb? that goes on, what does it say? If this person created a master artist identity within days, what am I limiting myself to here? She can do it. Everyone can do it. That's right. That's right. The, but, but you see people, and, and there's a lot of... Uh, you know, this whole motivation thing that happens, it's rampant these days and everyone is out there trying to motivate and and uh, do the things, you know, and then you have the people like, um, I don't know, like uh, Joe Vitale or whatever and the law of attraction, which of course, all this stuff is real. It does work. But the problem here is that people 
are not given the, the real story, the real story that goes behind assuming this kind of identities, because everyone is very afraid, very scared to, you know, go over the, the cross the line, if you will, and, and scare people, you know, as, as something that is like a woo-woo type thing is, oh my God, you know, and, and then people will be, will be turned off, you see, because people do not want to be scared. So, but you know, the, the whole point here, the whole idea is that if you cannot allow yourself to step deeply and fully into this kind of change, how can you? How can you get? I mean, you know, you you want to do this, you know, on a droplet level. Let's say, let's say you're really thirsty. You're dying of thirst, right? And someone comes over and says, "Okay, here's here's the deal. I have this um, this device that's full of water, you know, beautiful crystal, cool water, but it, it only drips one." one drop at a time, you know, and you stay there for, you know, if you stay there and be patient within the next perhaps week, you will have a full glass of water that you can fully drink and quench your thirst. To me, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. So, so it's the, it's, it's what, what fascinated you and what took you down the particular rabbit hole of exploring hypnosis was around really unleashing that potential. Absolutely. That's exactly what it was. And, and it's the same thing ever since, because every day, this doesn't end, you see, that rabbit hole doesn't get uh, anywhere. There's no point where you will be, you will reach the, the bottom of that uh, rabbit hole. I'll be like, oh, you know, I found it. Here's the bottom. There's zero bottom, which is to say our potential is truly endless. But who amongst us has the courage to go and explore it? And there's also the, the, the thing, because I'm sure for people listening to this, there's the sense that, you know, wouldn't that be amazing to do? But do I need to go and work with someone like you in order to bring it out? Or can I do it myself? What can I do myself to maybe move myself from where I am now to where I'd like to be. Can I do that? And I think I know the answer to it, That, but I'll let you answer it anyway, because that's the kind of uh, message I think that, given that we're nearly at the end, that I think we'd like to leave people with, which is this possible to do yourself? Can you be, can you be your own hypnotist? Of course. As a matter of fact, you are your own hypnotist. You are, and that's, here's another thing that most people don't consider. I've met several people that tell me, oh, I cannot be hypnotized. You know, they say, and my reply to, to this kind of people is, if you cannot be hypnotized, you are unable to learn anything. Because the process of falling into a trance is what makes something in your life become, as we say, second nature. Right? It's like you get up in the morning, do you have to think about tying your shoes or putting yeah. on your pants or, or brushing your teeth? You know, think back 
in your life, there was a time where you had to think how, how you, have to, you have to properly process how to walk. That, that was a huge task. You, you, you took a step and you fell over when you were a baby, right? And, and that was a constant process of uh, learning because the subconscious was that, you know, as accumulating all the information because, of course, at that time you were fully and always in the trends. And that's why you're constantly learning. So everything you learn, every little bit, then, then it's added on to that subconscious level of uh, being informed of how to do something, how to do something on a, on a, in a way that will not take any conscious thought from you because it becomes automatic. Anything that is automatic behavior happened, has happened through the process of you being hypnotized by yourself or your environment. Ultimately, you know, it is you who allows yourself to be drawn into these trances. And otherwise, there's no way to learn. But given that those things, and even if we go back to the, the idea of the driving and the fact that when you learn to drive, you know, you're, you're, I think the expression is you're consciously incompetent at the start because every single action that you're taking is, has to be consciously thought out. And then it gets to a point where gradually it becomes unconscious and you don't realize that you're changing gear if you're not driving a, an automatic, but, uh, but you're doing everything very consciously, but then it switches. If you're in a situation where you're looking to realize some of that potential and you're not dealing with something like a, a task like driving and you want to do something to change the way you're thinking or the way you're reacting to things, in that context, we can hypnotize ourselves to do that as well. Of course. And there is one word that actually would mean uh, everything to anyone who's ever tried to do anything or learn anything. And as I say, repetition is the mother of knowledge. And that's why repetition is a mother of knowledge is because repetition puts you in a trance. This is why in the meditation, medit there's so many meditative techniques that involve mantras, right? So what is a mantra? A mantra is a phrase or a word or a sound a vibration that you keep repeating until you lose yourself in it. Until you, you don't even know that you're doing it. It becomes like this thing that just, uh, it's like background noise, you see. And, and now you are in a state that is absolutely magical and can take you anywhere you wish to go, provided you are, of course, willing to go there. Okay. And you're prepared to put in the work with your repetition. Cool. That's quite a message to leave on, I think. That's really interesting. I think so. So, as we wrap up, have you any final words? I'd say take care of yourself. Allow yourself to fall into conscious trances, which is to say think about the fact that now I'm just going to sit here and allow myself to be immersed 
in the feeling that I want to make an automatic function for me. That feeling of being this or that or changing identities or the feeling of being more conscious or more aware or more spiritual or more artistic, more creative, what have you. Allow yourself on a daily basis to get the luxury of acquiring certain pockets of time and daydream because that's exactly what daydreaming is really just allow yourself to just get in there and um, do that kind of work and as you do that think about what you're doing the more you think about what you're doing you're just repeating that step into the feeling of that thing that you want is and the more you allow yourself to be in there the more you will be in there. And the more you are in there, the more automatic that behavior will be. You're just creating another program. And the and the way, and in the same way that that girl became Leonardo da Vinci, you can become this person, this feeling, the way you want to be. And you start acting from that place. That's right. That's right. Okay. Cool. Yes, absolutely. We will be back next Wednesday, as always, with another fascinating topic. And until next week, let's be careful out there. And don't let your mind kill you. Thanks for listening to Your Mind is Trying to Kill You with Alexandros Megas and Vincent Byrne. If you like our show and want to make sure that you don't miss an episode, then we would love if you would subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And you'd be doing us a big favor if you would support us by leaving a review as well. It would also be great if you would take a screenshot of this episode on your smartphone and share it on social media. So join us next Wednesday when we talk more about mind hacking and taking back control of your life. Until then, have a great week. (laughs) 